I'm going to grab you by your nipple hairs and tug. Packing bowls and freeing souls from America's heartland. You're listening to Bowl After Bowl with Lorian and Spencer. Your Honor, I would like to please not guilty on the grounds that Obama legalized weed. I want my weed. But the business model fucked us all. It's just me and my ganja. Don't tell them we're high. Listen, we may be a little high. I mean, late. Thank you, darling. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that sounds really good. Oh shit, yes. Oh shit, yes. So good. Oh yeah, it's sounding good. Like a Friday night should. It is Friday. Happy Friday, bowlers. It is April 7th, 2023. And uh this is a special edition here of Bowl After Bowl. It is episode 237. A Bulls with Buds. That's right. Anytime it's not a Tuesday, you know it's a Bulls with Buds. I'm Sir Spencer Wolf of Kansas City. I'm Dame DeLorean. And joining us for the very first time, it is M. Andrew Jones. Hello there. Hey. Hello. Welcome, My best NPR. There we go. (laughs) Hello there. You're listening to the sultry tones of M. Andrew Jones. Ooh. So sultry. I like that. Doing what I can. Fantastic. Well, welcome. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. Of course. Our pleasure. It's uh, it's exciting because uh, I've, I've got like a treasure trove of things to uh, pick your brain about and ask you. Um, I guess we should start off by saying uh, M. Andrew Jones is uh, a fiction author here in the No Agenda community and... Um, for those of you who've been listening for a while, you'll know that uh, he's sent a couple of his books this way to the bowl. Metal was the first one that you sent to us. And uh, I actually just got finished this week reading Children of the Broken Moon, which you sent uh, a little bit more recently. And, oh, nice. Uh, and you've also been a longtime friend of the bowl, too. In fact, I wanted to kind of kick it off there. By the way, for those interested, I want to say right up front... Uh, if you're looking for uh, M. Andrew Jones' work, you can go to mandrewjones.com to check all of that out. And yes. um, so let me start by kind of, we love to do origin stories for first timers here. And um, with with our uh, coming, with you coming on our radar, it was kind of sending the book, but also you love to send... Uh, these USPS money orders. That's so unique, and you, you always send it with like a a greeting card with an animals on it, and uh, it just always stands out as like a unique thing when it shows up. I was interested in, um, I don't know, both how how you found us, and also how uh, you know your thought process behind putting all this together. All right, um, I found you during, I believe, it was. You really came on my radar um, when COVID had started, and I was listening to you talk on the live stream after No Agenda. I was listening to the No Agenda show, and I just kept listening on the live stream, and you happened to be playing, and you were saying something really smart about um, 
how you just go into establishments and you you wouldn't bother wearing your your face mask and you'd wait until uh, somebody would come and approach you to be like, hey, you need to put on your mask. And you'd always, um, you said that you would always know that you were going to cooperate and put on the mask, but you wanted them to like dread the encounter. Yeah, I remember that, that there was a period of that. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought that was, I thought that was pretty damn brilliant. That was a... Because then you'd always just be like, oh, oh, we're still playing that game. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, I guess I could put it on. Yeah, that was um, that was something that was an adv- uh, some advice that we followed from one of the Casey No Agenda meetup attenders, one of our regulars that always comes. And he was like, yeah, I just walk in there without it and like make them come to me. And it was, an, it was a nice... Fr- there's a little stretch of time there where like the signs were everywhere and like most people were just doing it cause they didn't want to have to, you know, bother anything. And so that way I could just like be ready. But then you're also a guy walking around ignoring the signs. And sometimes that's all that people needed to also just pull theirs down. They were like, Oh wait, yeah. that guy doesn't have one on. I could also well- not have one on. Yeah, and there'd be a lot of people that just wouldn't even approach me. That would be like, "Yep, I'm I'm not gonna bother with it." Yeah, and then I just walk through the entire store without my face mask on. It was nice to kind of flip that the other way, and it's like, "Oh wait, I'm so tired of fighting, but but probably everybody else is too." So like, just put the onus on them and just sit back and wait, you know. And sometimes yes. you get the sir, sir. Yeah, yeah. Every once in a while, but then it was just you know you just pull it on and then yeah they go away. Oh, okay. So, if, uh, if yep. That's how you feel. <laughs> just play dumb. Just oh, play that's dumb. how you. I I love playing dumb. The uh, there was a few times where I would get like like you'd be in the grocery store walking through like the bakery section, and then there would be some like bug-eyed person behind the bakery counter who's like miming to put the mask on with their hands you know and like you can see they're like just like waving their arms like a big ostrich but uh just like no no i i don't i don't see that (laughs) i don't even see you over there and just like pretend like i didn't see it just keep walking on my merry way i didn't see it and i don't know what you're doing i don't know what you're referring to i don't know if you're trying to fly but you don't look like you could get airborne flapping those arms looks like you have a hard time breathing maybe you should take that thing off your face it seems about right. The, so as for the cards, um, I'm just kind of an old-fashioned kind of guy. I'm a bit of a Luddite, so... I love that. Plus, it also allows me to send things with just three one-cent stamps. Oh, sure. Did have I? Did you get some of those, too? I'm assuming. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, that's always fun. The penny stamps are cool. Yeah, that's wild. That still is a, a thingy. It's almost like a cheat code nowadays because like a forever stamp is like 51 cents or something. Oh, it's way more than that now. I don't know what they actually 59. I think I think that sounds closer to right. Yeah, Yeah, it's kind of ridiculous. Creeping up, man. Soon there'll be two bucks. Those cards you send are awesome, though. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I just buy them around town wherever I can. I've got one in front of me right here. It was the one with the the mushroom, the mushrooms and the witch with the broom on it. (laughs) That's a cute one. So I hear you like mushrooms, he says inside. Yeah, I always enjoy your uh, thoughtful notes. In fact, I was reading the inside of this one again today, and um, 
I wanted to ask you a little bit about this uh, because, okay, so the note, plain and simple, is ITMs are Spencer named DeLorean. Perhaps you'll like this one as much as you liked metal. Perhaps, perhaps. Uh, oh, yes. Thanks for your courage and love is lit. I'm Andrew Jones. But then you also have, in these doodles, uh, kind of ascending symbols that, if you look and study the pattern, it's it's like 1 through 10 going up. But uh, at the bottom, there's a single dot with a circle around it, and then the second is a yin-yang, and then there's a triangle and a plus and a five-pointed star, a six-pointed star. Um, seven reminds me of the... Uh, I can't remember what you call that. The personality type or whatever it is. Um, uh, the, the Aeneid? Yes. So it's related. Um, the nine is actually the Aeneid. Okay. But Yeah, I can see that now. Seven... Seven's a pattern that if you have if you have nine dots around the circle, so you take those nine dots around the circle, and then you do um there's there's two patterns. One of them is you take seven and you double it to fourteen, and then you double that to twenty-eight, and then you almost double it, you actually a little over double it, you go fifty-seven. Okay. So it's modified one up. And um, and then you follow that around. So like the nine is at the top. So then the, the one dot goes to the four dot, goes to the two dot, goes to the eight dot, goes to the five, goes to the seven, goes to the one. And that creates that pattern. Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. Little zigzaggies. Yeah. Only all the way around. It's, it's almost like a, a series of triangles that slightly rotate. Um, but not quite because of... It's just a geometric uh, little pattern going on. Yeah, it's it's a um, yeah, it's an interesting pattern I found. Um, other people have definitely know about this. I mean, it's all over with the Aeneid people, but you'll notice that the okay. So this number actually, if um, if you divide any number by seven and it comes out with a fraction, you're gonna cut into that um, that repeating series. Gotcha. Okay. Somewhere. So like one divided by seven is 0.142857142857 on and on. Gotcha. And of course the numbers you're missing out of there are the three, six, and nine. Right. It just kind of skips over those in the pattern. Yeah. And then of course the eight is a infinity symbol and the 10 is a, a set of bowling pins to me, although you know, <laughs> maybe somebody would say that's the uh, Cracker Barrel Hop the T game. It's um it's the tetractus that um oh what is his name Pythagoras used oh okay to, yeah I'm gonna paste a picture of this in the bowl chat because I'm sure people are like what the fuck are you talking about <laughs> and one is one is the monad and it's a just a circle with a dot in it which is a an old symbol for the sun and an old symbol for one and then the uh... The Watchmen nerds made it the the hydrogen thing they put on the big blue guys. Oh yeah, yeah. Mr. Well, th- theirs is a little Mr. different. Doctor Manhattan. Theirs is a little different because there's a, a second dot at the top of the oh, circle. Also, right. There's one uh, electron in the circle. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So they have like an extra dot. It's interesting. So, uh, like, is there kind of a? I don't know what's the impetus behind adding that. I guess. Well, all right. I need to send you another book. Um, 
I do have a third book and it's called the story of number and it actually hits on all of this stuff. Um, Oh geez. So, all right. So this takes me to children of the broken moon. Okay. You know, the character Krumpus. Yes. So he doesn't talk. My favorite guy in there, uh, as I, you probably might guess. And he's also the, uh, character on the cover of the book which we've featured in the album art lorian put that together yes oh cool yeah nice that that was the cover was actually um done by mark gonye who's uh he's a friend of the no agenda community awesome yeah um so anyway the main character Crumpus, he was he's a mute and i needed for him to um have a way to talk to people and I ended up just going with sign language because I needed to simplify it. Because at first I was initially going to have him like draw symbols in the dirt. And then other people would like see what he was drawing and they just like naturally pick up his meaning. Sure. So in order to, but in order to do that, I was like, I feel like I need to know symbolism a lot better than I do. So I, I took a deep dive on, oh, geez, the Masons, the Illuminati, um, Joseph Campbell, uh, Carl Jung to a degree, but more like what people were saying about him and not what he said firsthand because he's not the most approachable. Sure. So, um, yeah. So then I had a, another story that interrupted and it's called the story of number and it's, um, um, an esoteric nonfiction that talks about number. It, it really aligns with like mainstream numerology but I didn't read any numerology while I was setting it up because I, I wanted to like get down my own thoughts about the numbers first. Sure. So there are a couple of differences. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, that cover of that one is kind of uh, some Star of Davids collapsing into each other sort of like at first glance. Or you, yeah. you might have a more uh, apt way of describing it because there's also kind of some lone triangles, I suppose. But that's probably just because they're cropped out of the pattern. Um, yeah, it was. So that was actually um, I had done a separate artwork and I had a different cover that I originally did for the book, but I didn't care for it. I just it had a sorry tagline that I didn't like. I put a religious philosophy on it and I didn't. I don't know. It's it's hard to say something's religious. Sure. Because people don't like that word. Yeah. I get so, it. So I commissioned a new cover based on, um, yeah, it's just uh, a field of triangles and stars and hourglasses that all, yeah, collapse and expand upon each other. I guess hex and, um, hexagram is the more uh, <laughs> uh, neutral term for it. <laughs> well, I mean, it's not. It's not quite that, is it? It's technically all triangles, except for the, the negative spaces or diamonds. Sure. Hmm. Except for there's triangles there too. Yeah, so I mean it was <laughs> it's really about the triangles. Um, but I mean they 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 build and they form bigger triangles and then they form yeah, pretty much stars of David. Or uh oh, hexagrams. Yeah, I like hexagrams better. I it's tough. It's tough to uh put it into all this words. religious stuff, yeah. It's it's all fascinating, but Hey, do you want to join my church? Right. <laughs> I no, it's I'm forming a church. It's called the Church of the Dumb, and uh, our answer is I don't know. <laughs> ta ta, there, retard. <laughs> uh, so let's. Um, I 
I'm at a loss for, I have so many things that I want to cover, but I'm at a loss for like the order to do it in. So I think. Let's take it one at a time. I, I think I want to start with metal because it was the first thing that I read of yours. And it was like also quite a, quite a quick read, but there's like such a contrast between the two stories in time and language and tone. Um, Oh, just, thank you very much. Just kind of everything. It was like a really cool to see like your versatility between the two. Uh, well, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So with with metal, metal is kind of like a a short story or a what would you call it? like a novella? Yeah, about I like novella. A novella about a, a a rock and roll chick who's like doing the true rock and roll scene of like um, her day job is. Uh, in the service industry and um, she kind of finds herself in this wild and weird contest with a more followed musician. Uh, she's kind of got yes. like a, a, a bet going. In fact, it, it'd probably be a lot less clumsy for me to just read the back of the book. Uh, Sophie saw her opportunity. She stood charged across the room and sat herself on Gabriel's lap before he could pick some other lucky contestant. She licked the side of his face and whispered in his ear, I don't mind a little choking. It's nothing worse than I got out of the old foster home, she grinned. Still, I'd rather talk music. You know what I want? Gabriel leaned in close, a dirty smirk on his face. I want to murder you and get away with it, he winked. Sophie snorted. She didn't believe it. She knew a lot of jokers, all bark, no bite, prodding at their limits. Gabriel wasn't really the wrong kind of guy. Sophie knew the wrong type. Truly vicious and reprehensible. This strutting cock was just edgy. With a chuckle of her own, Sophie leaned in. You know what I want? She rubbed up against him. I want $100,000 in six months to spend it. She smirked, satisfied with her jovial answer. And that turns into sort of the bet or agreement or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, kind of a gentleman's agreement. The, I mean, for, for what the agreement is, I mean, you know, $100,000 so that I can murder you. Sure. That seems like a low number, but it depends on circumstance, right? That's what I thought. I wanted to make it low enough that I, that I, I think a lot of people would be like, I'm not going to let somebody murder me for $100,000. <laughs> right. But it's high enough to be life-changing, you know, especially for somebody that's like struggling to get by and just live in a dumpster fire kind of life. So I guess one of the things that I'm curious about is um, like how long a story will marinate or uh, how much of a story you have before you actually start sitting down and writing it out. Metal was different. Um, I, w I woke up one morning really pissed off and metal pretty much just kind of played out in my head. And as I was getting toward like how it was going to go, I was like, I got to write this down. So I took a page full of notes and then I think I ended up going to work. But um, but it was it was pretty whole cloth when I first started coming up with the concept. I was like, oh, I know exactly where this goes. Nice. So, yeah. And then I just I took about six months to really set it down and then just polish the crap out of it. So I think that makes sense to me for metal because it's kind of uh, although there's like there are some surprises and it's not really like an expected plot by any means. The the deal with like the modern setting and everything else is like something that 
just makes sense. Once you have the characters established, like they just do their thing. Yeah, it's pretty bare bones. With Children of the Broken Moon, however, you've got uh <laughs> you've got a geography, you've got a different, you know, planetary um situation. You've got political yeah. structures, you've got uh unique religions, yeah, it was, it was, uh, political orders, uh yeah, a whole world building experience. All kinds of names like so that I'm curious about how much do you have to come up with beforehand before you actually start on plot stuff like this whole world that exists and uh like there's a map at the beginning of where everything is which I constantly flip back to, you know, when like there's places and directions named and I'm trying to like look yeah. at it on a map because I'm I love maps anyway. Yeah, me too. Um, but, oh, geez, I've always known I wanted to write fantasy fiction ever since I decided I wanted to write. It was like one of the, one of the genres I really wanted to tackle. Um, so I thought about it for several years before I ever really started writing it. And then it really, it really, like once I knew where the main character's arc was going to end, like where that, that initial story then I started plotting everybody else around them, and um, it's it's not a fast process at all. <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah, yeah, it takes time. I mean, as I was going through this thing, I was like, uh, "It's it's fun too because like things do move around. Like um, you you slowly discover more about certain characters. Like your early assumptions don't necessarily match up with." what rolls out. Uh, in fact, the figure that's first introduced ends up being like in the end, at least of this story, such a minor role or a minor happening in the whole thing. Like I, we don't ever really even interact with or see him again. And so you're talking about the thief. Yes. Yeah. And so I also read that this is, you know, book one of the Chimera cycle. Or Chimera Psych. How do you pronounce that properly? Uh, Chimera. Chimera Yeah, I like Chimera. And um, so how many books are fully planned in this thing? And you you may have said this uh, in a blog or something, but do you like already have chunks planned out? Oh, yes. uh... Yeah. Book book two is um, nearly finished. Okay. And um, if you wanted to, you could actually go to my website and the whole thing is, is there. Um, I do, I do most of my writing actually on the website and then, um, edit it there and polish the whole thing on the website. And I actually like, it's, it's been a really fun project cause I actually about every three months, four months or so, I, I copy everything and I save it to an archive. So there's actually like a growing body of this, uh, this slow building trilogy. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, cycle. Um, let's see. You had a more specific question. So I knew one of the first things I came up was the ending. It was the original ending of the, of the story. It was really, really just going to be three books. Okay. And then I found a way to add a fourth book later on. Um, so I knew, I knew where the first book, I knew where the third book was going to end. And so I knew where the first book was going to begin. So it was really just a question of just filling out between there and having to have like 
major plot points and twists at the ends of each of the the first and the second book. And then later when the fourth book came along, I was like, it's a brilliant idea. Because I would always joke, I'd say, I'd say, I'm writing a trilogy, so it's going to have four books. And then one day I realized that that wasn't a bad idea. I actually see how a fourth book would really work. So. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So, so I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. Um, the, the first book, though, like just the writing process in general, um, the first chapter was one of the very last things that I actually had set in stone before I was ready to publish it. Um, it, was, it was very problematic. Part of it was when I was first starting the first chapter, there was a lot of stuff I didn't know about later on. And so I was I was pretty vague and kind of hedging on things depending on how stuff worked out. And so the, the first chapter was actually rather problematic compared to the rest of the book. Interesting. Yeah. But the second book doesn't have that problem because by the time I got to writing the first chapter of the second book, I knew exactly where in the story I was and where who the characters are. And I had a much firmer idea of how things were going to go. Yeah, it seems kind of like that would be a big challenge to have these characters and they all have their different arcs. Uh, the method by which their lives all get intertwined, that that I think was maybe the easier part because it's like... Uh, there's just this big-ass army that's taking everybody and throwing them in one place. And so that's kind of where it all comes uh, clashing together. Yeah. But it's still... Um, there's still so many surprises in there. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about Krampus, who you've mentioned as the main guy and we've said was on the front. And uh, he's just kind of my kind of fella for a whole bunch of reasons. But I, I suppose the number one would be that he can spark bowls with his fingertips. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he does that. I think that's excellent. I that's actually... Need. Like, I put a cigarette in my mouth and was, like, touching it just while reading it, just being like, you know what? <laughs> I, like, things like that, uh, especially when you're in that whole uh, suspended um, disbelief state... It's th it's things like that where I'm like, I don't have the faith required to think, oh, I could do that. But I do have the faith required to think, I could learn that if I tried hard enough, long enough. So the that actual trick I got from one of my brothers, he, he told me when we were growing up, I was really young. I was probably like seven or eight at the time. He told me that one of his creepy ass friends at some sleepover like took his hands and made a triangle with his his thumbs and pointer fingers and lit a fire just by like staring at some some combustibles in a in a fireplace and he said it freaked him out and he didn't know what was going on dang and it always kind of stuck with me and i just thought it was you know it's a cool magic trick no you doubt know? i uh, i'm quite partial to fire magic myself but yeah and his the magic's a little amorphous in the in this in the book. It's I try to never let it take take over a scene where it's just like, oh, then they just magicked their way out. Yeah. So it it is limited, but um it's it also I never like I I never really cared for the books that explicitly like lay out the laws of how their magic system works. Yeah. I, I like the idea that some people had certain tricks and other people had different tricks. And everybody's kind of trying to sum up everybody else's uh, abilities and limits. 
Yeah, and yeah, and some people are more powerful than others, and a lot of them, most of them, are just kind of they don't have any power. They're just pretty mundane, you know. They got they got their swords and their axes and whatnot, and their smarts or their looks, depending on who they are. So, the significance of the planetary alignments or interactions um, is that sort of the the first seed or like how did how did this get born i guess when you first started um actually let's back up even further than that i'm sorry when did you first decide i want to i want to be an author i want to write stuff oh okay so do you know orson scott card i don't orson scott card yeah he's a he's a, a sci-fi writer and he's done he's done a lot of books he's probably at something close to 50 okay um he he did a book called Ender's Game that they turned into oh. a really terrible movie. Yeah, that I've heard of. Yeah, uh, the the movie's pretty awful. I've the not book seen, is fantastic. Not seen the movie. Yeah, or, don't, don't or read the book for it, for that matter. But I have heard it name dropped. It's it's a very popular book. I wouldn't be surprised. Um, but yeah, I I finished that my freshman year of high school, and I was like, after I finished reading it, I was like, I will never write a book that good was my initial thought. <laughs> and I was like, I want to write. And so like, yeah, early in high school, I knew I wanted to write, but I was also really terrible. It, it took me a long time to teach myself how to, how to tell a story. I know, um, somebody who's in kind of a similar situation, but f- before on the path in that, uh, she knows she wants to write this, uh, fiction novel or series in a certain world and like there are rules that have that are being established but then you like like you have the world and then you have kind of characters that you're interested in and then you have to start i don't know like focusing lenses and fleshing out details yeah i'm referring to this quiet girl to my left over here (laughs) oh you're right yeah oh really i love writing but i'm probably terrible at it she's a closet Uh, yeah i have a lot of uh, pieces of scrap paper with scenes and ideas and information about characters, but like nothing pieced together. Yeah. Yeah. One day I sat down and was like, I'm just going to start writing. I'm just going to like make the first scene. And then it's like, how does this all start? That's what might even be the hardest part is just starting it. It can be really difficult. I, I would suggest looking for a hook. You're looking for something to like, so it's got to be kind of a big thing that's that kicks everything off. I like that. How did so, you? I was just gonna ask. Okay. Like, uh, you you mentioned you felt like you were a terrible writer at first. How did you start practicing and gain confidence in your writing abilities? Um, I I wrote a lot, and I read a lot. Reading other people's stuff really helped, and I feel like, um, my first book, which is actually called The End of Marvelous, which I'm I'm about to re-release. It's it's almost ready. Um, it, it has a lot of, I feel like I can sense some Tom Wolf and some of the other people that I was reading a lot of when I was writing it because I'd, I'd start to like imitate their voices. So like the whole imitation is the greatest form of, form of flattery kind of thing. Sure. And so it's, it's actually been something I've, I've kind of looked to erase ever since then because I, but it really helped at first cause I, I would like, I would like purposely try to sound like Tom Wolf. I'd be like, he would write these, these long, intricate sentences 
that just flowed. They'd have these. So when you write a long sentence, you're actually slowing down time. Mm. So you're taking a second and you're stretching it out and you're making it really long because you're, you're taking a whole lot of words and you're making the reader digest them all at once. So like this, so it's always that the more complicated something is, the longer the sentence will be. So like if something's really simple, something's really quick, you know, you can skip, you can skip years and years with just a couple of sentences, especially if they're really short. Like, um, I actually wrote down a sentence. So here's an example. Uh, for 14 years, the Jedi's battled the hobbits. The Jedi lost. Okay, I was born under the harsh rule of the Hobbit occupiers to beggared Jedi parents. Okay, so we've we've skipped over an entire war and now set this person up inside of this with just like three really quick sentences. We've set up this character in this oppressed state where the Hobbits are beating on poor Jedi. <laughs> nice. So, um, yeah, and, and learning tricks like that, like some of these authors... You just kind of, some of this you just pick up without really even understanding it. And it's kind of the work of like, the more you write, the more you start to understand this, um, not intuitively, explicitly. You can explain it. It's something that you, that you, yeah, you know it well enough that you can talk about it. This kind of reminds me a little bit of my favorite book on the creative process itself, uh, by Austin Kleon. It's called Steal Like an Artist. And yeah. somebody gave me that in uh in I think very early college or as I was going off to college. But it basically kind of says the same thing about like all great um musicians, writers, uh artists, athletes even, that um they all come up and start by just, you know, stealing all the moves of their heroes. Yeah, emulating the greats. And definitely. And then by doing that, they then, you know, evolve those moves into their own, improve on them and gain their own voice and it basically breaks the whole process down into like all creative work is theft because it just builds on what's been done before and it just comes and that really the aim to be, you know, the gap between an imitator and an actual artist is that you're improving on, uh, well, there's a few things that talks about. The first is like stealing from actual greats. The second is stealing from a variety of those greats. And then the third is like morphing those and improving on everything. Yeah. And, making it your own. And it becomes your own. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, they talk about, uh, like Kobe Bryant is one that's like stands out to me because it was just like, certain basketball moves that he was picking up from like, you know, the generation before him in basketball and growing up as a kid, what he was seeing. So I think that's really cool. Like the, the Tom Wolf reference and like, you know, Oh, I'm stealing from him. Um, one of the coolest exercises in that book is, I mean, it wasn't stealing. I don't consider this stealing. And part of it is sure. because so many of the greats do it. It's um, cause I mean, you look at, you look at J.R.R. Tolkien and half of fantasy fiction is based on on his works, but on top of that, The Hobbit is a retelling of um, Beowulf. Sure, yeah. So I mean, it's it's you know super modified. Well, and so that it's 
I I use stealing in the in the sense of the book's approach too, of like not not in a negative way. You know, it's like uh, you've got to have some place to start to know what's good and what to aim for. Uh, and yeah. like you said, you know, the imitation being the finest form of flattery. Um, the, yeah, and uh, yeah, and everybody does it at the same time. <laughs> yeah, it's like you can't you can't really make art at all, good or bad, without without. Uh, some it's element come from of that. somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, like none of the Bible says like, there's nothing new under the sun. And that's kind of yeah. what it refers to. Yeah. Nobody's inventing their new genre I mean, every once in a while, but it's rare. A cool exercise in that book was like, if you really want to hone a craft, take your three favorite. And when I first got into this uh, book, I was doing some sets at, at comedy nights at like open mics and they were like, well, take your, fir- take your three favorite performers or your three favorite artists and study their influences. Look up interviews from them and say, like, find out who was their three biggest influences. And then you make a tree on your favorite three artists, and each of them will have three biggest influences. Who do they cite as their biggest influences? And so then you got nine people to study. And then of those nine people, who are their three biggest influences? Oh, and then from that third generation you kind of see stuff sort of come together. It comes like back together. So it doesn't like, you'd think that this tree keeps spreading out, but it actually kind of converges into like, I don't know yeah, you could, when I was doing the comedy part, it was like everybody came back to Lenny Bruce and um, Rodney Dangerfield. And um, like everybody kept eventually, if you go back enough, like the roads come back together. So they're telling, yeah, they're like telling the same jokes, kind of jokes, the same yeah, or, or it's 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 almost like an attitude thing, right? They come at it with the same attitude. And the premise and plot can be totally different, but like the source of that or like where it's coming from or the delivery or I don't know, it's hard to kind of really put into words when it comes to comedy, but it's it's, it's the same idea, you know. Art can be hard to talk about. There's, yeah, it's so uh intangible, you know. And there's a there's a magic in the just in the the doing of it that's yeah, that doesn't translate well. Speaking of the doing of it, uh, so you mentioned this archive you've got going on your website. When you're yeah. writing, are you just writing on your website, just typing it all, or do you have like handwritten notes someplace? Like, what's your uh, what's your process for writing? I I do both. Okay. Uh, notes are for new stuff, and then I. Um, I do all the writing actually on the website, so it makes it easy in one way that the website is always like the most current version of whatever I'm working on. And then, um, like notes. Yeah. And then, so mostly I just take notes for like, oh, I need to add, let's see. I just made some notes the other day. Um, like something, a character needs to do something and, or a character, um, so like there's a character that's complaining to another character and it's kind of one of these moments where he doesn't realize who he's complaining to. It has the same issue, only it's magnified, but it's this beautiful little poignant moment of where he's like, he's complaining about this, this little issue. And then he turns to the guy that he's complaining to and he realizes, oh yeah, this is the one guy that would not want to hear it. So like, that's a note and it's going to go into the next book. And then like when I actually get that note in, and I start to form like the rest of the story around of it, that'll be all be online. That's just all. Yeah. 
Nice. So I'd say 90% of it, 95% of it gets done online. I love that. That's really cool. Yeah, it's it's a pretty streamlined process, I feel. But um, I've been working on it for a while. <laughs> another thing that jumped out at me was the uh, all of the sub-chapters, they're demarcated with, um, you know, you break up the story in the line with a series of, basically it's you hold down shift and run your finger over the top row of the keyboard, and then you print the sub-chapter number, like 10.3 if you're in chapter 10, sub-chapter 3, and then you go back the other way. Yep, just um, running it back. What's like the, is there any kind of special reason for that or? I needed a page break. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh, that kind of looks cool. So I went with it. It yeah, does look cool. It. It's like, it's very recognizable. Like you can see what's going on right away. If you spend, I don't know, any kind of a daily amount of time with a keyboard, which I think yeah. most of us do these days. Uh, although, I guess it depends of, I'm, I'm not sh- so sure uh, how many people are on a physical keyboard versus like a phone keyboard. It might be a little bit. I do get questions about it. And it's, I mean, yeah, I was just looking for some, like a pattern, something to break that. You know, I started doing um, just a series of asterisks. Yeah. Five of those. And the problem was, is it, there was a glitch. It like, I was, I was working in one of the word programs. I think it was Microsoft Word. And it like, it fried the shit out of the, the file somehow and it just created these black lines that I couldn't get rid of that were just appeared in the middle of the story (laughs) and it was a real pain in the ass and so it was like because sometimes you'll do something like that like five asterisks in a row and and it'll shortcut you to something else yeah it's like a snippet or something yeah and there's actually there's three of them when you when you hit shift and then run your fingers across the numbers forward and back there's three of them in there so like when you hit the negative the second time it um does it italicize? I believe it italicizes. And so then you have to backspace in order to get the the <laughs> the negatives back. And then when you hit the asterisk, it makes it bold between the two asterisks. Oh sure. So you got a backspace. And then when you hit which is the other one? I think it's the very last one, the tilde. Uh-huh. It draws a line through the hole. It scores the hole. Oh, like a strikeout, sentence. a strike through. Yeah. <laughs> so That's why. But but I liked it. I thought it looked cool, and so I went with it. I was like, at least these are easy to, to fix. Yeah. Because you just modify the text back. That just like lit up the uh, pattern recognition part of my brain. I don't know. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, I know what that is right away. Well, my, my first book, End of Marvelous, has all kinds of weird. Like, it has like newspaper clippings and like dialogue from a, um, a television show. And just weird stuff like that in it that I, I I really wanted to play with the format with that book. And so it's it's got like um, those stupid, um, when you're explaining something at the bottom, it's got a little oh, asterisk. yeah, like a subnotes or called? footnotes or... Yeah, footnotes. <laughs> it's got a couple of those in it. It's a mess. It's a lovely mess. <laughs> Are you considering audiobooks? So, um, there's actually an audiobook of metal out there. Oh, uh, nice. Gr- Graham from Grimerica actually uh, did an, was kind enough to do an audiobook for me. But the problem was he, um, he wasn't able to publish it anywhere because 
They said he didn't have permission from the author. Huh. And he sent me some emails, and I sent emails to these, to, I think, who owns Audible? Is it Google? Uh, Amazon, I think. Amazon? Yeah, that sounds right. And I, I sent emails to somebody at Amazon, and they were just ignored. But it was pretty much like, he has my permission, which he doesn't need, because all of this is copy left. Anybody can take anything they want, as long as they acknowledge that they got it from me. So, he could do an audiobook. He could do a physical pressing if he really wanted to. So, you know what fixes this? Podcasting 2.0. Maybe you could uh, put it out on a nude podcast app. Ooh, that's an idea. Yeah. Because he's he's much more tech savvy than I am, so I could. It's it's technically his, so I'd have to talk him into releasing it on the podcasting 2.0. But I will bring it up with him. Cool. This is the way. Because <laughs> that's actually yeah, I feel like that's a, a fantastic solution. He could just release it as a podcast and then link it there. That way he doesn't have to link it back to his audiobooks. I guess uh, you were right that Google does own Audible. But then there's an Amazon link too. Maybe they're just uh, all in bed. The Borg. Those filthy bastards. They're just having like a audiobook orgy over there. <laughs> I'm. Uh, let me see here. No, <laughs> it is an Amazon company. Yeah, I'm on, I'm on it right now. They got it right in their logo, man. An Amazon company. Amazon. Which, uh, why why Amazon? Why why did they name the company after a jungle? It's a little weird, huh? So I mean, I get the A to Z thing that he wanted to do, but is there nothing else he could? I don't know. I don't know. Zazzle, Ab or by Zazz or something could have caught it. <laughs> Which actually takes me to another question that I had written down here. How do you come up with all these fucking names? They're like so many like. N- different weird off the beaten path names and i don't know uh because all of the kind of creatures are your classic you know creatures as old as time things like worms and even the even the bear bugs i didn't really know i thought that was a new thing but those are out there that's like yeah, the, the boogeyman's origin uh, yeah, I I take those and I modify them to my own, but they don't stray far from what other people have done with them. Sure. The names, ugh, names names are hard. Um, I've named four kids, and it like gets tough. <laughs> it like just after the fourth one, you're like, all right, well, Jesus, what are we gonna do this time? With this one, there's a lot of a lot of the names. I just uh, I use something that sounds like it could be a name in the real world, like Haddleton and Bartholomew. Of course, Carrington's a real name, but of course, yeah, he's he's an exception. Um, I wanted him to have a very straightforward name and to be very recognizable. Sure. Because he, he is a very recognizable character, like right. just physically in the book. So, But like, you know, then you have things like Krampus and Sephany and uh, uh, yeah, like, Kezadel. Yeah. Yeah, just stuff that sounds good. Um, I, two beats is bad. There's a lot of, a lot of fiction names that have two beats. Mm-hmm. And so like Krumpus is, Krumpus is actually, I feel one of the weaker names. I, I actually took Krumpus from World of Warcraft. I used to play World of Warcraft. Okay. And I had a character named Krumpus and it was after Krampus. Sure. But I misspelled it. <laughs> I never <laughs> I realized that I had it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Well, he's much cooler I, than Crump, uh, than Krampus. 
Yeah, and I can't do Krampus anyway. Krampus is the he's the Christmas devil. Right. He's a and cr- shortly after I started using the name, Krampus like blew up. Like all of a sudden, it was everywhere. It really did uh, kind of catch on fire there for a little bit. That was weird. They made a movie about him and everything. I, what the hell? I do love the appendix, by the way, of uh, the cast and crew that you have here in the back. It's like everybody's listened out and They why. need to be. <laughs> it's a long list. So, okay, so you go from metal that has like maybe a dozen characters. Maybe. Yeah. It's really just Sophie and Gabriel. And, of course, Sophie and Gabriel were... Very intentional character names, too, because Sophie means wisdom. Mm. And Gabriel is, they're actually both very light-named characters because the Archangel Gabriel is where I took his name from. Gotcha. And yet at the same time, we take these, like, really holy names and then make them play this dirty game. They're like uh, (laughs) little gutter punk angels, basically. Yeah, pretty much. I love that. So as far as... uh... But yeah, Children of the Broken Moon has nearly 100 named characters. I think I think it's like 89 or 90-something. There's a lot. Yeah, this, this appendix takes up all of two pages and then uh, a quarter of the third page here, just to list them all out. Yeah, and it's just, yeah, one name per, per uh, line. Ben, traitor and a drunk. <laughs> yeah. Jupy, the benevolent mother. That's another thing, the... The planets kind of, or well, in the book you refer to them as the the infinities, because they're uh, they're not really specific planets per se, but they're you know some sort of satellites. One is the moon that is all shattered in a million pieces in the sky, or a million million pieces. Yep. And uh, the the names seem to be just uh, a little modified of our planetary system. Is that? fair to say or oh yeah it's yep okay it's definitely there yeah so jupy is jupiter uh nevis is venus you can you can piece sure. it out pretty quickly yeah trismegist if you know trismegistus it's mercury okay that one i didn't because that's what the thing like i could see some of the obvious ones and then there was other ones i was like now what's this one because then i'm with my pattern recognition uh i don't know what that is autism it's yeah. like uh yeah well you you see that some of them fit and you're like oh if if he did this on purpose then they probably all fit yeah you want to hunt for the rest right yeah so i'm, I'm oh, it's there <laughs> i figured so the decisions uh as far as material goes i'm interested in how you arrive to that because there's a lot of uh political stuff there's a big time geography thing and you include a map which kind of rings tolkieny uh there's a lot of uh sexual themes throughout <laughs> yes <laughs> um and uh i don't know I like do right dirty yeah i'm gonna grab you by your nipple hairs and tug i'm <laughs> <laughs> gonna get your attention <laughs> yeah i'm just interested in if there's a process behind that or a thoughtfulness to it, or if it just kind of, you are more loose with it and just kind of let it come out of you. If that makes sense. I don't know. You know, it was one of those things that when I was reading growing up, like I'd loved, I love the hot scenes. Like yeah, when things started to get a little freaky and kind of, I didn't like it all the time. And it had to be with like 
consequences, repercussions. Sure. So, I mean, so, yeah, but but at the same time, it's like, I wanted it all, you know, it's not, it's not just about the sex. You got to have, like, the action, the adventure, and the fighting, and the alliances, and all this intrigue, and you don't really know quite where everybody stands. Yeah, it's... It's murky. You're you're uh, you're drawing a swamp, is what you're doing. You're writing a swamp, and just letting these people play out their lives. I I really like that. Anytime I'm like reading through, and I can like out loud be like, "Oh shit!" <laughs> it's a it's a it's a great experience as a reader. Oh, thanks. Yeah, yeah. That, I mean, that's one of my mottos: is get in and get out. Like you want to you want to come in, tell what's relevant tell it in an exciting way and then like cut next scene what are we doing now so that you keep because there's there's just so much good art out there there's so much good shit totally especially and books is a hard one because i mean there are books going back hundreds of years yeah and so like for me to throw my hat into the ring i don't i don't want to compete with people on the new york times bestsellers sellers list they're they're not who i'm aiming at I'm aiming at the greats. I'm aiming at Tolkien. I'm aiming at C.S. Lewis. I'm aiming at Orson Scott Card. I'm aiming at these big names that are going to be around for, you know, a long time. So. Fuck yeah. You know. I like that energy. And I, I you know, it takes time. Like, Children of the Broken Moon took seven years. I mean, I, I'm writing, like, somewhere between five and 20 hours a week. So this is not full time. It's probably about 10 to 12 hours is my my weekly average okay so i mean i put in some i sink some serious time into it but i'm not like nora roberts style or anything <laughs> right this but uh, then i'm not writing formula either this this map oh i just the number of times i flip back to it yeah i, uh, I apologize i wish it was a little cleaner it's not a bad map but it it it, could it be has a bit, it has the tolkien feel just the way I think that the lettering's done and the drawings themselves are done. The I'm I'm I guess I'm interested in your publishing method in general. Um, and what's what's Luna all about? Uh, Lulu or Lulu? That's what I meant. Yeah, I I got it confused with the moon. <laughs> right. Lulu. I yeah. Broke, I broke the moon. All um. I, that's kind of like the only note I you have like a mercifully clean copyright page. There's not like, usually there's just a gang of shit there. And this one is just nice and clean. Yeah. I wanted to like, everything had to mean something. And then it also had to be concise and to the point. Like, I don't know. You, you read those other books and they have like all kinds of back backdoor business deals where it's like, if you see this book without a cover on it, know that it was stolen and reported destroyed blah blah blah, all that kind of stuff so it's like all that kind of stuff i definitely don't have to worry about interpol warning and shit yeah and fbi and like there's no library of congress because i didn't file it with them and i don't care and there's no isbn number because i don't care and so it's just like you know written by edited by formatted by creative commons copy left published on and that's a that's about it (laughs) published by lulu yeah or printed by lulu not even published Technically, it was published by me. Sure. Because, um, I mean, I hold all the rights, but then at the same time, like, please, people, 
if this inspires you and you want to do art based on it, if you want to draw pictures or animate it or write stories about these characters doing other things, do it. Take it. You know, it's it's free press for me. Just you got to tell them that you got you got, you know, the source was my material. That's all I ask. Booberry's currently running off to write the stage play right now. Yeah, do it. <laughs> do it. Write a radio play. Um so Lulu, is that just allow you to kind of like self print your book or how, how does yeah. that process work? I'm They're just, just not a self publishing. Yeah. They're a self publishing website. So, um, they'll, they'll run you through the whole process. Just listen to it all off. And what, what you really need is you need two files. You need the cover file, which is the front cover, the spine and the back cover all as a file. If you laid up, laid it flat, sure. the, pull the book out apart and, and laid the covers flat. So that's the first file. And then the, the second file is just a PDF of all of the interior, one page after the next. Gotcha. So, yeah, and then after that, it just takes money, and they'll send you a copy back. So it's been working pretty well for me. I'm, I'm almost at 1,000 sales between all my books. I'm very excited. I have one. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned that, because we did sell one at the uh, block party that Abel Kirby was at. And I have been meaning to get you these sats, and uh, I just keep spacing out, sending a damn email. I'm so bad. Well, you know, I didn't have a wallet before today, so... There you go. I certainly don't blame you. Yes. (laughs) Well, now you have a wallet, and you're in the game, and you got coins in it, and I'll put some more in there for that book. Um, Speaking of which, by the way, uh, if you're listening to this in a nude podcast app, you can boost forever and always, whether you're listening live or in the future and uh we have a 33 split for m andrew jones in perpetuity i need money there you go (laughs) to quote alex jones uh i think i have a hey listen you dicks send money (laughs) (laughs) there we go uh some have in fact including harv hat who from podverse boosted 3333 at the beginning of the show and uh he said, spark it up. Spark one up. And uh, N4VX at noagendasocial.com just came through out of CurioCaster. And uh, he says ITB, which is like super secret code word for... In the bowl. In the bowl. So in the bowl. In the bowl, bowlers. And that's fantastic fun. I would love to, by the way, uh, if you're interested in trying to do audiobooks or... Uh, the physical book itself as this sort of value for value over lightning thing. Um, it was very early on in the uh, music discussion and taking this thing toward music that the w- when the medium tag was rolled out and being discussed that we were like, hey, you know, this can be for, uh, you know, audio books, radio plays, documentaries, uh you know, downloadable ebooks, anything. And so we haven't really had the book use cases as much, but I like, if you, if you want to be one of the first, like I'm happy to help you with the technical side of that. Yeah. Um, and it's, it essentially is a, a, a value for value product at the same time. Like you, if you want to go on my website, you will find 
everything I've written except for stuff that I'm not showing anybody. And the story of number, unfortunately, isn't all on there because there's a lot of artwork in it, and I'm too lazy to get the artwork onto the website. Gotcha. It's terribly lazy of me, but <laughs> I I got a lot of I got a lot of pans to watch. Um, I, I you know I think it's a better case for for audio just because. I don't know. That's, yeah, I mean, that's certainly it's the simpler one because that's like, uh, there's this weird problem between uh, the, let's say, the producers of the digital works themselves, the, uh, we call them content creators these days, right? Oh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, those guys. Uh, us versus the content the, creators. Uh, the content distributors who, you know, make applications that people can actually consume this shit in without having to. Uh, I don't know, feel like they need a computer science degree. And constantly we have uh, philosophical discussions, let's say, of like how hard all of this shit really is. But, uh, you know, until you until you do it as an end user, it's all really hard. And then usually if you get an app and you try it for the first time, it's like, ah, oh, it's fucking impossible. Um, so there is that aspect of it, right? Like, the audio stuff is pretty hashed out at this point because of the podcasting apps and because of where it launched and how far it's come. And music is just starting to kind of come online as far as the applications go. But yeah, for me, I see this as kind of a longer term thing, you know, where like 10 years, from, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, all this shit's out there in the incredible ways, you know? And as long as you have like, the met the means to plug it into all these apps that eventually are going to come online. Like it, it is just a matter of time. Well, and I need to, I, I honestly, I need to because otherwise I'm just leaving money on the table. Cause you know, people are going to want to use that method to give me money if they like my stuff. So exactly. I really ought to just another door to, uh, to open, you know? Yeah. Then, and then who walks through? Yeah. Well, I, part of it is I, I've also just been like, very much focused on my catalog because I only have, I mean, I'm about to release the end of Marvelous and that'll be book four. Yeah. And two of them are really short. Like metal is not a long book and story of number is the same length. Okay. It's also very short. Gotcha. So, uh, how long have you been published like books available style? I know that you said like Children of the Broken Moon took seven years, but like as far as me being able to flip through a book physically, a physical like, copy. Yeah. Well, the first one, the the first edition of End of Marvelous, which I did through Powell Bookstores up in um, Portland, came out in two thousand twelve. Okay. But I did fifty copies of that and then let it go by the wayside until one of my friends just recently talked me into republishing it. So, so that's why that one's about to come back out. Um, otherwise, Children of the Broken Moon, Story of Number, those were the the first ones I've maintained. Okay, Story of Number came out in 2016. Children of the Book Broken Moon came out in 2020. Wow, I can't believe there's a four year gap between the two of them. Time and time is a real fuck. Yeah. Well, and it's like okay, so. I took seven years to write Children of the Broken Moon, but at the same time, I also, you know, cut out some time to write Story of Number. And then I'm at about eight years with Under Oblara, which is the book two to Children of the Broken Moon. 
And I wrote metal in the middle of that, which took about six months. Plus I also reworked marvelous for maybe another six months. And then I've also starting book three, even before book two's finalized. Cause what I do is I, I have so much of it done. So I have like the first couple of chapters of, of book three written and what I'll do is I'll go back to mm, maybe halfway through book two because I feel the first half of book two is nice and polished. And I'll start reading and I'll polish. And then I'll I'll keep reading until I get to the end. And then I'll add a little bit more on as I know where I want the story to go. And then as I start to lose track of where the characters are and what they're doing, what I need them to be doing and where they need to be going and all that kind of stuff, then I actually jump back to further in the book, like further or earlier in the series and I start that process again. And so then I keep lengthening it by, you know, maybe a section, maybe a, a chapter or two each time. So that like, as I get to the end, it's really bad quality. It's really <laughs> low quality. Yeah, it is. You can like go and read the first couple editions of, of metal, like the first couple. And it's just, it's rough. It's not good. <laughs> so I, I take heavy editing. I know there are some writers that like, that first draft is the best draft and they never touch it again. But I am not that guy. What's your editing process like? Do you have to do all of that yourself? Do you have like uh, people you trust to give you feedback? Do you, uh, uh, I don't know. Cause it's, it's tough. Like it's tough from a reader's perspective to be like, uh, what's, what's the line between creative criticism and, and um, I don't know. I the, I have editing experience in in the journalistic sense in the journalism world, but I also like it's just one of those things I really love to do is um, look for typos and look for like suggestions of wordplay or things. I think that I made some kind of a comment to you when I read Metal of like people were snorting a lot and <laughs> they were yeah they were <laughs> snorting and huffing a lot yeah and again like. So I took your comments and I reread it and I was like, oh, all right. Are they really snorting and huffing that much? And I'm reading it and I was like, Spencer's full of shit. Because <laughs> there wasn't a whole lot of it. And then I got to the end, like maybe the last four, five, six chapters. And I was like, oh, there it is. They're snorting and huffing a lot. It just comes, <laughs> like, yeah, it's just, it's just at a certain spot. Yeah. 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 So... Um, and then I, again, like is toward the end of the book, which was a little less polished because maybe I should have spent a, a you know, a sure. little more time. Or maybe you're but just yeah, kind of trying to get it there, you know, and you're like, just, we got to just get it there. Yeah. And I actually did take the book and, and cut out some of that snorting and huffing. I remember you saying something about it was that. gratuitous. It was, it was, um, it was overly done. <laughs> um, and yeah, I'm just, even if she's a cokehead. Yeah. I mean, as a person who snorts and huffs uh, myself, you know, I was like, hey, even this is a little unbelievable to me. They're like, they're taking it a little far. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I don't know. I, I always feel weird, like, even saying anything sometimes, you know, because it's like, I don't want to be taken the wrong way or being like, uh, I just like. Oh, I, I really appreciated it. Um, yeah, I, I get some word from from readers and whatnot. Mostly it's just me, and I like to get things to a nice, a pretty polished and glossy place. So I feel like metal was. Uh, I, there's probably a couple other shortcomings. It's a it's a 
four star book, maybe a four and a half star. I feel but, like um, I feel like there's just bonus points for like, uh, hey, I'm like weird internet friends with this guy who happens to belong to the same podcast cult that I do. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, there's just an automatic bonus boost to that. Like, I'd rather read something from that world anyway. I like that. Well, with me and it yeah, primes I, it. It's like it. It gives me a motivation to actually pick it up because there's like I have a shitload of books around my house that I saw on the shelf, picked up, and like I was like, oh, I want to read that or that sounds intriguing, and then I brought it home and just like haven't. Well, don't get me wrong. When I say metal is a four star book, that beats like eighty percent of books out there. Like, yeah. there's there's a lot of there's a lot of crap. It's a very uh, yeah, it's a very it, fun story. And uh, oh, thank you very it much. moves and it's uh it's like a page turner. Once you're in, like you just finish it, you know, like once yeah. you start reading it, you finish the thing. Yeah, I was yeah, I knew I was in a good place when I handed it to my sister and then proceeded to watch her flip pages for like the next hour. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, I ain't saying anything. She's like in it. She's liking it. So, and then of course, when she was done, she's like, all right, now I'm going to pull it apart and hurt your feelings. <laughs> but that's what siblings are for. Definitely. So, yeah, the, I mean, like Scott McKenzie stuff is great too. Like just knowing that like there are people out there doing, doing interesting art. That's, it's, it's quite fascinating. And it, it's not like, I know, you know, you, well, I, I feel like with him, you know, a little more what you're going to get because he his stuff is like based on no agenda, so it has like a lot of no agenda themes and a lot of like ideas from no agenda. Yeah, and like his his book Red Cell even has like several characters that are named after like patrons of no agenda. Oh, nice! I so, I, I haven't read his work, but I've heard it mentioned both on the show and by some other people who have read it. It's some good stuff. I personally think. Um, one day and get monation is his best. His first book was just I thought it was really strong. Uh but but his stuff, like the difference between his and my stuff is his stuff is very much no agenda and my stuff is not. Yeah. My stuff is off in its own world. And there's no like the agenda is mine on it. Like there's no creepy political agenda. I'm not a I'm just not sure into politics these days. Like how can you be? Yeah, it's it's very lame time to be into politics if you are, <laughs> but I don't know. You maybe, know. maybe that's the astronaut to with the gun saying always has been. Um, who knows? Yeah, I'm. No, I'm looking to distract you. I'm looking to. Yeah, I'm looking to tell interesting stories that are. It's not nice. gonna pull you away from what's going on in the real world. There is sort of a if you kind of just go sort super bird's eye view about it, I would say there is sort of a no agenda e tone overarching where you've got like these large powers and this like government and religious corruption and this like never ending war that is kind of like a fake war. That's kind of more like a economic con job than a war. Uh, so I think you could say there's a little bit of that going on. That's somewhat. I mean, it's like there's no, you know, you like the, you're not gonna find a meme in here that's like yeah, an NA there's, meme yeah. There's no modern, <laughs> there's yeah. no modern memeing in it. Yeah. Although there is a little. Ooh, yeah. 
There's there's a, actually a line coming up in the third book where uh, one of the characters starts yelling at the other one because he calls her he calls her Laurel, and she goes, "What the fuck did you call me Yanni for?" And it just it just had me cracking up. Some of the <laughs> dumb shit like that. <laughs> but you you remember what that's from? No. Oh wait, no, oh. I do. Yeah, Laurel. Yeah, yeah, that <laughs> the uh, Laurel Yanni audio it was clip. the audio version of the blue dress, white dress thing, right? Basically, exactly. So there's there is a little bit of that kind of stuff that does sneak its way in. That's funny, um, but yeah, not a whole lot. Not a whole lot. The, I mean, some of it, like okay, like I, I definitely lean toward libertarianism, or like you know, the individual is the smallest minority. Sure. And should be protected and like the less government the better so i mean it, some of that stuff is just necessarily going to bleed into my books because i feel like kriegel is kind of that guy who he's like trying to tell like the priestesses like uh you know like i like the laws where it's less regulated down in the southeast or whatever yeah um, there's there's a little bit of that that yeah I'd really just wanted to talk about sex with him in the <laughs> in the chair. He's such a noble guy. I just kind of make it into a yeah. I like like he's the grandpa you want to have. I think I feel like. But yeah, sticking him in this weird pickle where he's like talking. He's addressing these these younger women that, that definitely have different motivations and and want things from him. Yeah, mostly information. I mean, they're really after information, but they'll they'll use what they got to in order to get it. Mm-hmm. So, and I mean, he's just. He's just that old political dude that he he sees the traps long before they're they're sprung. So he he knows what's up. He knows the score. So he's just turning it into a conversation about whatever, trying to get information out of them at the same time, see what they know. So uh, conical. Yes, it is. It's weed. Okay. <laughs> In the bowl, smokers. I knew it. Sweet conical. Bowlers. I mean, uh, yeah, you do all but spell it out, but I was like, pass mm, me that conical, man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm interested, too, though, because, okay, so to to lay it out for those who haven't read the book, the the Krumpus guy is a, is a shaman healer, and so he is called upon in one of the more pivotal scenes in the book to heal another one of the main characters, this this kindly grandfather kind of character that we're talking about, too. It's a very important man. And uh, I'm just interested in some of the inspiration for the herbalism and um, like in, in particular, the blue honey. Okay. And yeah. The, and the little <laughs> doctors. Another veiled, and, uh, another veiled uh, reference. Okay. The Apparently if you, if you soak psilocybin mushrooms in honey, the you'll actually, I don't know if it physically turns blue or if they just call it blue honey because the mushrooms turn blue. It is kind but. of a, it's like a really dark blue. It's sort of like if, what you'd imagine if you've, you get like a brand new pair of jeans and soak those in some water and like, you know, that the first time you wash like a brand new pair of Levi's, there's this weird blue dye in the water. Okay. It's almost like yeah. that, but darker. All right. But yeah, it's definitely blue. It's definitely got a blue tint to it. Okay. It's not something I've ever seen. I've just heard of it. And so let's play with it. Can confirm. Yeah, some of the, you know, some real world stuff bleeds into it, especially if it sounds more fantastic Then you know, why not? Why not put it in a fantasy novel? I liked it. Uh, that was like, 
I love the Krumpus guy for so many reasons. And when he's uh, dancing with the dragon, kind of like uh, the front of the book, uh, which, by the way, I don't... Correct me if I'm wrong. Do you ever use the word dragon? There's so many other words. Wind, serpent, no. worm. I don't yes. think that the word dragon was explicitly used. Well, that's because she's not. The okay. dragons, dragons do appear in the next book. They do not appear in this book. Gotcha. Uh, but like a proper dragon does appear in the next book. The, there's yeah. The next book also has Naga in it. Okay. Um. Yeah. So we're we're expanding expanding the the fantasy world and and allowing for all these these things to just be there. And part of it is like, so Kriegel doesn't know it now, but several of the other characters do. But he doesn't know that Mew is is a worm. But later when he finds out, he's like, oh, I know worms. I've dealt with worms. I've So it's like, it's not just like these things are out there in the world, but they actually have, these characters actually have like previous experiences with the, those creatures. And I wish that's something that more writers would, it's kind of a hard thing to do. Because as soon as you introduce, you know, as soon as you introduce the worm to, to Kriegel, then it's like now all of a sudden I have to have this whole rich history of how, He's actually interacted with worms before and where he's known them from. Right. But I mean, he's a, he's a Duke at the same time. Like he's a powerful man. Sure. He's going to know about shit. He's, he's got to be on top of his game or he would not be Duke for, for a long time. Right. Well, he's either like had direct encounters or read about it in his many studies or heard about it in his many travels. Kind of one of yeah. those things, right? Where it's yeah. just so there's, on his radar at some point. Yeah. There's a lot of things that, that come into the story and it's like, it's new for me. And so I want to be like, oh, it's new for everybody, but it's really not. It's new for these, it's new for me to write about it, but, and it might be new for some of the characters, but a lot of the other characters, some of the other characters for sure are, are going to know about these things and have seen them before. So usually when something like big comes out of the, the woodwork, like when the Naga come out of the woodwork. It's like half the characters know about them. They're like, oh, yeah, these little bastards, they're around all over the place. They're a pain in the ass. <laughs> Whereas and the other half of the characters are like, we got to we got to go where we're going to do what? You know, there's what in this these catacombs. Nice. So, yeah, that, that kind of world buildings. It's it's really fun, but it's difficult. And I like like Harry Potter, <laughs> which I like. I really like Harry Potter. I, I think it's a fantastic series. Uh, I don't love it, but I do like it. I loved it when it was first put in my hands in 1997. I loved, you know, she does, I loved she, it. She does some really good things. She's very clever. And she gets better. Like the, the further the series goes, like the seventh book is... Well, maybe the sixth book is the best. But like she... I'll give her that. Her stuff constantly improved and got better and better. But there was no, there was always like so much surprise. There was always like so much like new stuff. And then the old stuff would just drift away. Like the time turner, like why weren't they using that in the fourth and the fifth book? Sure. Yeah, that's a good point. Some of these inconsistencies because it's just too powerful. The friggin' things just got thicker and thicker as they, as she went on too, though. Yeah. It was like, uh, couldn't it even, makes sense. Couldn't even jam them in there. I think it was actually really well done. I mean, they, the series grew up with the audience. Yeah, I could, I could see that for sure. So it was like the by the time the the audience could handle a thick book like that, 
then, you know, that's what she was producing. I, you know, kudos to her. Makes sense. We are, I think, at the perfect right age. I I assume you're around my age. I'm about to turn 33. Oh, I wish I was around your age. I'm 45. No shit. Yeah. Close enough. Close enough. Uh, we did get a boost, by the way. 10, 10K, no way. Uh, came in from Clip Custodian, who says boost and ITB. Y'all know what that Thank means. Thank you, Clip. Boost. Should I just... Clip for sure. just call him Clip for short? Yeah. Clipitus <laughs> Maximus. Uh, when can we expect... The elder races of the world, considerations, arguments, and refutations. <laughs> you gonna publish that on the side as uh, some meta? No. Yeah. No. Oof, that thing's like 800 pages long I noticed, or some crap. Yeah, eight, page 825 <laughs> is cited here in uh, chapter 9 to open yeah. that up. So, yeah, Speaking I was like, that. I looked at that. Eight, it just reminded me of like, uh, if you pet, if you play any kind of adventure game and you're picking up like little notes of lore like in-game lore and it's like like it just reminded me so much of that something like that yeah i'm definitely playing with that yeah there's in the book of the book of the odom colodum mm-hmm. which is uh it's that's based off some esoteric thing book of adam cadman or something like that i don't know it's some masonic thing that i don't even remember anymore he was like the first man or something the first man. Uh, you know, these things. The OG. Uh, we did, by the way, get a v- listener voicemail. I'm always so scatterbrained on the Bulls with Buds ones that I forget to mention. You can ask M. Andrew Jones a question, if you would like, by calling 816-607-3663. Uh, and someone did. I bet you could guess who. Happy to- or, oh, uh, Happy Friday. Uh, I'm on Friday. Fletcher. It's- um, actually, I'm piping it through the wrong way. Cause... Oh, it is uh, no, it's not. It's uh, uh, Christopher Battles. <laughs> oh, yeah. Nailed it. Uh, I just need to redirect this, though, because it's going at the wrong damn uh, speakers. Here, let's try again. Sorry. Happy to... Or, uh, happy Friday. Because, you know, Friday, it's a bowl with buds. That's or right. sometimes it's Sunday. Or sometimes... I don't know what's going on. I call it uh, bulls and buds and <laughs> but bulls and cool. Bulls. We get to hear from M. Andrew Jones, where the M stands for Matthias, Methuselah, Marcus. I don't Master. know. Mystic. <laughs> Do you go Mystic. by M at all? Like with people, or is it just kind of like a pen name thing? Because I saw some other Andrew Jones when I typed in the uh, when I typed your name into a search engine. Um, really? Yeah. But. Uh, Cool site, just a little one page site, but uh, or one page ish site, but but uh, read a few of the things, I enjoyed it, and just nice, clean format. So, yeah, um, yeah, so I guess the question would be stereotypical how you got into no agenda, you know, oh, yeah, and, uh, whatnot, but uh, that'll get asked, but uh, yeah, when did, when did you start to start the writing journey? Was it something that you experienced early in life or a little bit later and and whatnot. Yeah, pretty so, early. Uh, yeah, we'll go with that. So, all right, we'll hit the Friday. Uh, yeah, that's about it. I love you guys. Stay dangerous. And, uh, you know, whether it's raining or it's uh, big clouds and whatnot, go ahead and give a little caca! That was a big caca. Yep, there it is.
<laughs> the yeah, the Mia Culpa. That's what M stands for. Okay. The no, it's the M doesn't actually stand for anything. Oh, clever. Yeah, it was. Oh, do you know the love song of J. Alfred Prufrock? I don't. And uh, it was, I guess, apparently back in the day, it was a thing to like have a first initial and then a middle name and a last name. Okay. And the love song of J. Alfred Prufrock by T. S. Eliot. He actually makes fun of. He's part of the. The idea is that he's making fun of this convention. Okay. So I kind of wanted it from that. And then I just had these these people. Oh, Jesus, this is a terrible story. This is, and it's, the payoff's definitely not worth it. And I'm still going to tell it. That's all right. That's typical bull stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it fits. This, this is where this story belongs. Yeah, perfect. Right here, late in the show. The, uh, so I, I used to work at this restaurant at the, far into town and there was a Starbucks across the way and I'd stop in at Starbucks and buy their terrible coffee. And I was there so often that of course all the baristas knew me. And so one day I come walking in and they're just laughing it up and having a good time. And the one of them goes, turns to me and goes, I'll bet you manscape Mandrew. <laughs> and I was like, all right, well, whatever. And from then on, they would always write Mandrew on my cup. They just thought it was a hilarious joke. And so it was always Mandrew on my cup. Okay. And so I'd take it over to work and it'd float around and a, like people would see it and they'd be, pick it up and be like, who the hell is Mandrew and why is your coffee in my way? And uh, <laughs> so, so it started. And so I was like, oh, it's, my name's Mandrew Jones. It's my, it's my MC name. Oh, Mike Jones was big at the time. Mike Jones. Sure, oh. yeah. So Mandrew Jones. And, uh, I, I was I was looking for a pen name anyway because I've always liked the idea of having a pen name, and so I was like, "I'm Andrew Jones." That's it. There you go. So I remember when you first came on our radar, and it was like, you know, when you enter the IRC, there's no period oh. in the names, and so it's Mandrew Jones. And yep. <laughs> uh, we actually had a very good friend, Andrew Jones, back in 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 the old days in the old town. In the motherland. Wow, lucky and, me. Uh, I'm I'm riding on his karma. We always we always called him Mandrew Mandrew Jones. Like it was just kind of the <laughs> thing because it, it made perfect sense. And he was like our uh, I don't know drinking buddy. And uh, I first met him when I dropped into a college course because it's like incredibly easy to do that. It was after I had dropped out of Mizzou and then I was dropping into courses here and there, uh, including a philosophy class that Lorian had. So I like dropped into that one. It was actually shamanism. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Well, what do you know? <laughs> yeah. Which is perfect. I was like, uh, it's always been it, one of my fascination. Name. Andrew. It's, Andrew actually means manly man. So I'm just. It's just putting it out front. Where if you just say Mandrew. Mandrew. Yeah. Yeah. But then uh, I don't know what it was. It was like when you first came in, and I think you corrected it. You know, it was like, oh, it's M Andrew, or maybe it was a read of it or something. <laughs> And then ever since we were like, oh shit, no, it's uh, M. Andrew, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's M. It's M. Andrew. It's M. Andrew. I'm too old oh for hip hop these days, so it's it's M. Andrew. Mandreezy. Man, uh, <laughs> Mandrew Jones was also Mandrew. Our, our, our DM for the local. Uh... Yeah, D&D. Mm -hmm. Oh, really? Yep. Your dungeon master's named Mandrew. Yeah. Perfect. And then I come along writing fantasy fiction. I was like, uh, you know, at first we were like, is this the fuck? Is it? Is it Andrew? 
Uh, turns out, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> Might as well. Uh, do you wear a nail in your eyebrow? <laughs> I don't. Yeah. I have no piercings. I have no tattoos. I have, yeah, I'm pr- I'm playing Jane. I bet, uh, I bet our man Drew has also dropped that. I think he was kind of doing it off and on at the end there. Oh yeah. Once you know, you get married. I I used to do the the lip ring all the time, and then like there just comes a point where you're just like mm, you just lose interest in it, you know. I always thought it was cool. I always thought tattoos were cool. I I was never big on piercings, but I've I've threatened to get tattoos. I have fairly often. I have a tattoo I consider cool and worth it, and I have a tattoo I consider the dumbest fucking thing I've ever done. So I have one of each. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, that, that series of symbols that, that I put in that card. Yeah. I've thought about getting those. That'd be cool. Like uh, around your neck as a choker or like down the top <laughs> of your shaft so that like cool. when you get a boner, you can see it, but then when you're flaccid, like it doesn't make sense. And you just see one in 10. Yeah. What's this? I was thinking my knuckles. Okay. I was thinking maybe down my, Inclu- down my arm. Including thumb knuckles. Yeah. So it goes all the way up to 10. You have to get the thumbs in there. I would. That's like a, well, I'm a bartender, so I could get away with it. Oh, nice. Yep. But I feel like a lot of people. I've been doing that for a while, too. Yeah, maybe. I love yeah. that. It's fun. I love you know, it pays so the much. bills. It's nice because you can just like do it anywhere and people like don't really fuck with you if you know what you're doing and you're halfway decent at it, you know? Yeah. They're just like, okay, well, here's the bar. And you're like, and I leave right, it at work. Cool. Like when I come home, I can work on my, my writings and I don't have to think about the bar. The bar just yeah is there for when I need to work. Totally. Yeah, and you could like pick up a night, you know? Pick up a night and it's always worth picking up a night anywhere. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great uh, especially for a storyteller, it's a great spot, you know? It's, a, it's transitional work. I've been doing it for 20 years and it's still transitional. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Till, till you get discovered, right? You know, it's going to happen. Um, I just hope it happens before I'm dead. That's yeah. That's all I'm asking. I think that there's a good shot of that, my man. Um, oh, thanks. Christopher Battles did make an interesting point. What is your? When were you hit in the mouth? What is your no agenda origin story? Because I was just a vain bitch, and I only asked you how you heard of us, and not, not the oh. big, the big show. And no agenda was so long ago. Oh, my brother turned me on to it. He was. He had a he 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 started his own janitorial business and so he was always listening to stuff and he was listening to Alex Jones and whatnot and that turned him on to No Agenda somehow and I was I was listening for different things or looking for different things to listen to and so I started listening to like No Agenda and School Sucks mm-hmm. and Peace Revolution uh, what were some of those other old school original podcasts that I really liked a culture. America was fairly early, but I think I actually heard of them from No Agenda. Yeah. Higher side chats. Yep. So, but but No Agenda was one of the first ones. No Agenda School Sucks, maybe Peace Revolution, maybe James Corbett. Yep. Yeah. Nice. So, but I, I heard of them. I, it was somewhere before episode 200, because I do remember listening to the 200 show where they explained podcasting. Nice. Um, yeah, value for value, all that kind of stuff. It's like the deep lore uh, explainer. Yeah. But, I mean, it's 
they've been so good for so long. They're actually one of the few places I actually am so okay, I have a gripe with podcasting. Okay, I'm ready. Um I'm I'm done hearing about the problems of the world. I'm really done. Like I get it from no agenda. Yeah. There's a couple other places where I'll listen to it a little bit, but for the most part, like if any new podcast comes on my radio and they're just talking about what's wrong in the world, I'm like, I don't want to do this. I think it's very bad for our country. Yeah, I get you. I, so it's just uh, oversaturated. And I want solutions. Like, let's let's work on solutions, people. Totally. We, we know the problem. I, I like that because uh, we try to, I don't know, we've tried to keep that in our Tuesday night thing, you know, and people are like, what is your show about? It's like, well, it's like a fucking variety show. It's all over the place. But um, I feel I think like you guys our... do a great job. Well, thank you. Thanks. I think when that... you do touch on the news, when you touch on the news, it's always like for your 33 segment or it's about weed. It's very specific. Like you're yeah. not you're not talking about the same things everybody else is talking about. Definitely. You're not talking about Ukraine. You're not talking about climate change. You're not talking about these big national issues that just bore the fuck out of me. Sure. Yeah, we tried to our best to like not do the COVID stuff all the time when that was going on. Yeah, now just the magic number sighting. Some of it was like unavoidable, right? Of like, hey, I fucking experienced this out in the wild this week, you know? Uh, yeah. So some of that was just not avoidable. But uh, yeah, we try not to do like the those flavor of the week that everybody's doing because it's like, and I think right. a lot of the stream shows are that way, you know? Like, uh, like behind the schemes, they'll get into some weird shit you have heard about or weird shit you've never heard about kind of thing and yeah ho- hog story and, uh, hog story is always you know so i love it when they get on about some some uh documentary i've never seen and they start talking about greenland sharks or something like that <laughs> <laughs> i'm like this is what i want to hear about rare encounter too they're like everybody's got their little niche you know like where else are you gonna go for potato news there ain't no potato news you're not gonna find it so that's i i I echo that sentiment because there's it's easy to get trapped up in the, you know, this hot new you know top of the top of the news hour. I actually really like the hangcast format. Um, I I wish I had a little more time to engage with it. I but. agree. Yeah, it's tough because I want to hear everybody's, and then you get this guilt that builds up, especially because like been doing really good. I I've met all these people now. You know, like they're they're all like my actual friends. Like, I love all these fuckers. Yeah. And I'm like, hey, I love all of you. I have need to catch up on your shows. Um, but then you, you have to make that decision, right? Do I keep up with everybody who I've met's show, or do I work on the fucking things that I've been neglecting that I was put on this earth to do? And, like, you, you got to cut a balance, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, like, even... So No Agenda is probably the one show where i catch every episode gotcha there's let's see i'm i'm looking at i actually wrote a list of of podcasts that i was considering talking about oh nice and i think the only other one i catch every time is union of the unwanted okay and they don't post a whole lot i think they post maybe once a week when uh did that come online because i I don't even know that they post that often Union of the I, Unwanted. I know I've I know I've heard a few of them, but when it's did they start? It's pretty new. Is it like a? 
Actually, I've skipped a couple of theirs because they did a flat earth one and I was like, I don't want to hear this. I don't, I'm not. <laughs> flat earth I'm is, not doing it. Flat earth is very triggering for a lot of people. You know, yeah. I think uh, Booberry learned that the hard way. Oh, did he bring it up? Uh, well, they just had a guest on, Flat Earth Dave. That's like their most controversial and most downloaded podcast of all time, I believe. Oh. Something like that. Well, hey, if it gets your eyes. It's, uh, that wasn't even like the impetus of doing it either. It was just kind of like, uh, you know, I, uh, I don't know how they, if he reached out or if they reached out or whatever, but it was like, oh yeah, come on, we'll like, you know, talk it out. But then everybody gets like very, very emotionally invested in like the outcome of that debate instead. Of, I don't yeah. Know. For me, I can just kind of like suspend, I don't know. I don't have like a dog in the fight. You know what I mean? Like. It, yeah, it could be turtles all the way down, and I would still like be all right. Like I, I wouldn't oh, have I wouldn't have to punch anybody over it. It's totally turtles, but they're not flat turtles. They're round turtles. Well, uh, <laughs> uh, flat Earth would work a lot better if uh, <laughs> if the turtles are all flat. If the basketballs didn't come right into my driveway and yard every time it rained, you know, like it's like how are they coming from uphill down here? That's that was always my issue with the flat Earth. Uh, yeah I, I just don't buy it like, like I lived in Alaska for a little while and it's like when you see the sunset that early in the winter like it's barely coming out at all it makes sense with a round earth I, I've i never really seen a flat earth explanation for it and it, like the whole so okay they start well by like being like oh NASA and the government's a bunch of liars oh you got me yep. totally agree but when you get to the idea that the Earth is flat, therefore, because we have to be in a special place in the universe because that's how we know there's a God and that God loves us, I'm like, I feel like you're making a lot of jumps. Like, can I not believe in a round Earth and God? Is there no round Earth God? Is it just a flat Earth God kind of a thing? I think uh, Earth is a basset ball. <sighs> and, yeah, I... And then it gets... Like, if you don't believe in the fat, flat Earth, then you're just really dumb. And then if you believe in, if you, you do believe in the flat earth, then you're just like really stupid, stupid dumb. It's like, everybody's so mean. Like, can I just, can I be? Can't earth be long and thin like a hot dog? Yeah. I want to be earth shape agnostic. I think, I think that's how Carl Wood puts it. Brought earth, best earth. Yeah, no, earth shape agnostic. <laughs> the thing is that my particular line of work hasn't really brought me in direct contact with like overwhelming knock on ass evidence of it you know it's it's always just like a mental thought and so then it's easy to come in and be like well everything they told you in school was a lie and you're like okay i'm in <laughs> you know and then uh, right but yeah. you know i i just don't uh i don't have the authority nor the time and effort and energy to uh admonish or champion either either any sides or angles i don't know is it is there two <laughs> sides to that I guess if the earth is flat, there'd be the top and the bottom side, but there's also like yeah. an edge, like a coin, right? Like, but if it's round, I guess there's only the one side to it. If if earth was flat, I'd live on the edge. Well, no, I guess even if it's round, there's the inside and the outside. Yeah, I guess so. But you're bringing me back to my church. I mean, join the church of the dumb, because then you just don't have to know. You just like get to be like, I don't know. It's, it's something. The earth is something. Are you accusing me of being dumb? It's still under me. Instead of on top of me. <laughs> so. Uh, it makes sense to me. And, I, you know, it's like all of these subjects, like, why do we have to be so damn positive about everything in politics? Like, 
why do I have to know how to cure abortion for every lady that gets pregnant from here until the end of time? <laughs> yeah. Like, what great, are we doing? It's a great question. Uh, I've got another, I'm, I'm just looking through my notes cause I want to make sure I get through everything that I've written down. And one of them is in a social, I'm, I'm pretty sure you used to have an account, but then when I like tried to tag you in this upcoming thing, I could not find it. Did you, did you delete your account? I lost it. Or did they rug pull you? You like the, lost your password and then they did like a purge on you because you hadn't signed in in X amount of days probably? Yes. But no. Oh? So they got my M. Andrew Jones account because I misplaced the password and I couldn't get back into it. Nice. <laughs> but I have another account and it's at Meme Troll. Meme Troll, okay. Meme Troll is me. I, I'm barely on it. Absolutely. I'm, I'm terrible at any social. Uh, No worries. There's no, there's no way to be good at it, actually. Take it from me. Yeah. <laughs> it's not I, enough. Yeah. Uh, bad. I don't know. Like, I finish books so rarely. It's like something that happens once every couple of years. So it's like, what am I going to, am I going to just post when I finish my books? Yeah. I don't really have anything else to say because everybody else is just posting cat gifts and Ukraine stuff. That's exactly like, what you do. It's the only thing it's for. You walk out when you, when you accomplish a task. In my case, it's just like when we get an episode published. You walk out to no agenda social, you pull your pants down to your ankles, you put your <laughs> fists on your hips, and you go, I got it done. And then and then you're there. That's all it's for, really. Uh, Pulling the goat and waiting. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I feel like I've heard, is that correct? I've heard you in uh, some NA meetup reports, right? I'm not just making that up. Yes. Yeah, I have been in a couple of those. Usually, I don't. Any meetup that I have organized, I've never bothered because I'm not that savvy technologically. Yeah. <laughs> but like, uh, I, I've been up to the Denver one a few times and they usually pass around a phone and nice have people say something. So, so it, it triggered John when I said putting beans in the chili. Uh, yeah. That's not <laughs> a hard thing to do, turns out. <laughs> Ruffle feathers. And he blamed it on Adam. Nope, I was aiming at Fletcher. Yeah. Squarely. That was not for Adam or John. It was aimed squarely at the smoker. I uh, I picked up on that for sure. Because <laughs> I, I know his feelings about beans and chili and, uh, you know. Well, I'm in Colorado. We do our own thing. I mean. We're all high here anyway. <laughs> if you're a, a broke-ass mofo, then you know that beans can go in chili. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, hey, save 45 cents, man. Get the one with beans in it. <laughs> Oh man, that's wonderful. Well, um, I do. The, those were the last two things that I had yet to cross off. But is there anywhere, um, anything that you would like to leave the bowlers with, or you know how we can support you other than boosting the show and uh, going to mandrewjones.com? If you like it, if you read it and you like it, it just help spread the good word and. Uh... You know, like any of the politics, that kind of stuff, it's all it's all background. So don't be afraid to introduce your your more skeptical friends to it because it's it's really just a good time. Is totally this yeah. Is, this there's, stuff is made for everybody. There's no slant or no uh, there's no like segment of the population you'll turn off by any of these stories. It's very uh, approachable. Maybe the more prudish. Uh, that's true. That's true. <laughs> If uh, if you have a big problem with uh, vagina, then it might not be for you. There's a little bit of nudity. Hey, well, you know, the bull. 
the uh, the nudity is just uh, the cherry on top. Kind of comes with. It's a part of life. That's right. Come on, people. We're all naked under that shit. Yeah. You think about it. Uh, thanks so much, bowlers, for hanging out for another one. And Thank you, bowlers. We always love you. Love you in the chat. Love you in the uh, messages, in the voice box, mails, vocal mails. Stay tuned uh, on Tuesday night where we will return with yet another bowl after bowl. Uh, at the normal time, actually, this time. 9 Central. Till then, I'll be Sir Spencer, Wolf of Kansas City. I'll be Dame DeLorean. And I'm Amanda Jones. Till next time, bowlers. May your bowls burn ever brighter. So when are we smoking some weed? Wow, I am really high. She's got big boobs, doesn't she? Yeah! I knew it! You're gonna get flipped off and I'm gonna fucking hackle the shit out of you. They're fucking full of shit. Yankees, Red Sox, Maris Mantle, Heckle and Jekyll, all the big rivalries in history. Do you know how bad you sound? You'd know that if you'd ever listened to my podcast. Most indeed. You can't. That's a dumb place to keep bowls. Bowl after bowl. Bowl after bowl. Bowl after bowl. Bowl after bowl. Com. Man, that's a wrap. Oh yeah. Oh, thank you guys. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thanks for joining us. That's yeah, you're welcome. It was a lot of fun. That was. And uh, so I'm coming back next week, right? Yeah, you you got the date. <laughs> we have to have you back to talk about weed. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh yeah. I forgot we never talked about weed. It was there. It was it. Yeah, we talked about uh God damn it. I had conical. to open the book. Oh, conical. Conical, yeah. there you go. I had to flip to that spot to fucking <laughs> drop the name. <laughs> oh my good God in heaven. Comical conical. You know, it's pretty obvious. I feel like it's, yeah, yeah. It's it was like uh, he sparks the bull with his fingertips. I'm like, okay, I'm in. And then he's like blowing it in the dude's face, and I was like, ah, oh, yeah. Many of my dogs have had that same. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you treat the sick, right? Yeah. You're at a party. Yeah. Your friend passes out. You know they're suffering. Mm-hmm. You blow a little smoke in their face. They're better. <laughs>